0: Thanks, guys. It's good to be with you. I guess I've been joking around that I've gotten, I got the amnesty pass to come down here now that we're autonomous churches. But I realize it might be with a clause because I got the Judas text, so. Um, But I'm just kidding. Uh, Great to be with you. Had some great time with the elders uh, this week, so. uh, And from Carpinteria to Ventura, thank you for REI, Target, uh, a close in and out, and all of the things that bring me joy. Carb's great, but, man, slim picking sometimes, right? So, uh, go ahead, turn to Matthew chapter 26, verse 14. Matthew 26, verse 14. Uh, I'm going to read the text, pray, we'll get into it. I'm preaching and teaching this morning from the English Standard Version. Then one of the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, What will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him 30 pieces of silver. And from that moment, he sought an opportunity to betray him. Now, on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Where will you have us prepare for you to eat the Passover? He said to them, Go into the city to a certain man and say to him, The teacher says, My time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. This is God's holy word. Let's pray. Lord, Father, thank you for giving us your word. Thank you that uh, we can trust your word is infallible, inerrant, invincible, that uh, you will always accomplish what you set out for it to do. Uh, that men, men were moved by the Holy Spirit, and so then they wrote, that no prophecy ever came from just human thought, but your Spirit moved to give us this book. Thank you that we can know you through your word, that you have spoken, and Lord, I thank you for so clearly speaking in Jesus Christ. Lord, I just ask for your help right now. God, I I just want Jesus to be lifted up and glorified and for us to all see, to see the God who would leave heaven for us. So Jesus, glorify yourself, Holy Spirit. Grant us eyes to be able to see. Uh, give us the gift of illumination. You, God, who said, who spoke light into darkness, speak light into our hearts that we would be able to see the glory of God in the face of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're desperate for you. Come now. Pray this song in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So uh, you guys saw last, or a couple weeks ago now, and I, I was able to listen to the message that Dom gave, the fragrance of brokenness the fragrance of brokenness, right? So we saw, we saw a couple of weeks ago, right before what leads into this, that a woman, Mary of Bethany, she lavishly, and she publicly, and she just extravagantly worshiped Jesus, right? She poured out her most precious, her most precious treasure she had. She, she poured out, I think the number was $25,000, right? The amount she poured out at Jesus' feet in the alabaster jar of perfume. She just poured all of that out onto Jesus. And Jesus, Jesus saw this act of worship come from a sincere and contrite heart. And he said, you know what, wherever my gospel is preached, they're going to tell of this woman and what she did. And what she did. And we see, we see that beautiful act of worship. And then it's, we come straight into this text, and Matthew has this stunning juxtaposition penned for us. We come to Judas Iscariot's betrayal of Jesus. And the name Judas, right, it like still carries that weight with it. Like 2,000 years later, like can you, like, anybody ever had a friend call you Judas? You're like, you're such a Judas. I was like, oh my gosh, like, please. It, car- it carries this weight still to this day. And I'm, I know we can be tempted to just gloss over these words. Like, okay, I kind of know this part of the story. I know what happens to rush through. But there's something for us here. And I, I mean, like, especially us who would be here in a church, about 11 a.m. on a Sunday, there's something for us here in this text, in the betrayal of Jesus of Nazareth by Judas Iscariot. And so as we, as we come to the story, there's like a question just beckons us that we, we, we're forced to ask ourselves, and it's, why, why would someone ever betray Jesus? Like, why would someone ever betray Jesus? This man, Jesus has done no wrong. He has done no wrong. All he has done is been merciful to the poor, shown kindness to the hurting, healed the sick, fed the hungry. He's he's just shown righteous anger against the oppressed. He's never spoken evil of anyone in his life. And so we have to ask ourselves, how, why would someone betray Jesus? How, how could a person betray this man? And it's to that question, I think we have to say, those who betray Jesus do so because they are blind. They are blind to his glory, his worth, and his majesty. The text begins, then, then one of the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and said, what will you give me if I deliver him over to you? Plummer, a uh, commentator on the Greek text, he, he says the then, the first word then, is actually meant to link it directly back to the story that preceded it. So he says the then— is meant to imply that the anointing of Mary of Bethany, the act of worship, led directly to the betrayal. That there's a literary device in the story that says, you see this? Well, it led directly to this. The act of worship revealed in someone else the betrayal. Mary of Bethany, she saw the infinite worth of Jesus, and she poured out worship, whereas Jesus or whereas Judas whereas Judas saw this worship of Jesus this outpouring, as an utter waste like $25,000 are you kidding me do you know what we could do with that do you know do you know what better use we could have of that he saw man that's a waste of breath why are you giving away this you're wasting your time your energy your life Judas saw it as an utter waste. And we have here, what we have here is actually like a case study in idolatry. This is how idolatry works. And idolatry, idolatry is simply the supreme valuing of anything, absolutely anything, not just bad things. In fact, most of the time, not bad things, but neutral or even good things, putting supreme value on anything above God putting anything but God in the place of God, looking to anything to meet your needs that only your benevolent Father was meant to meet, and the needs that actually only He is able to meet, to look to anything other than Him to fulfill you, to provide for you, to give you joy and rest and hope. We see in here a case study in idolatry. And there is in this text, this particular text, a particular warning shot, a particular warning shot, an indictment on a specific idol that can so easily grip our hearts. This, this text isn't just speaking broadly to all of idolatry, though it does speak to all of the things that would tempt our hearts and steal away our love for Jesus. But there is a warning shot an indictment on the love of money. And we all would be wise to heed Scripture's warning here. We we live in an incredibly wealthy area. We live in an incredibly wealthy area. Like, that's not— the amount of wealth that's known in some of these areas isn't isn't seen most places in the rest of the entire world, right? We live in an incredibly wealthy area— But for a lot of us, for a lot of us, maybe even most of us, we honestly feel like, man, you know what? Honestly, like even you look at my tax returns, like I'm not reeling it in. I'm not reeling it, especially with like the cost of living here. Like, yeah, it's wealthy, but it makes it so expensive to live. Like I'm not reeling it in. For a lot of us, we feel that, but I I need us all to recognize, and this is something I've been having to recognize, is that we don't need to feel like we're reeling it in. And in truth, we, don't, we can be struggling to make ends meet and still have money controlling our hearts. You don't have to have a lot of money for it to have sway over your life and your thoughts and your heart. Jesus, uh, the classic text that we go to when we think of money is in Matthew chapter 6. Jesus says this. No one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And so we hear that, and it's like, yeah, I know, I know, but something that was fascinating to me as I was studying is that, do you know what directly comes after this teaching of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount? He says, therefore, therefore, in light of what I just said, therefore, don't be anxious. Don't worry about tomorrow. Don't let your thoughts be consumed of what's going to happen, and what clothing am I going to have, and what are we going to eat, and what's, how are we going to do this? That actually, Money and worry are directly linked. And I think for so many of us, we're like, yeah, man, like, I'm good on money, but, like, how is worry in our heart, and how is it gripping our souls, wondering where's the next paycheck going to come, where's the next, how's the next bill going to get paid, what's going to happen? How does it grip our hearts and lead lead us to selfishness or lead us to not trusting God? Are we able to live, as Jesus said, without anxiousness, without anxiety, not worrying about tomorrow. I think worry, worry more often than any of us would ever want to admit is actually linked to m- money having a hold and sway over our hearts. So we ask ourselves, like how does a person fall into betraying Jesus? I think, I think we have to say we, it starts and we start... By letting something else, letting something other than God himself, something other than Jesus, grip our hearts and our thoughts. But it's it's not only money. It's not only money, but honestly, anything else we'd come to God for. It can be anything else we'd come to God for that we would be willing to exchange him for. Judas said, what will you give me? what will you give me? And what, what would that, what would that be? It could be? It could be a relationship. It could be, man, like, I'm single, and I just, want a re- like, I just want a relationship. Maybe some of you are married, like, man, I just want a different marriage. Whatever it would be. It could be ease of life, like, man, could it just be a little easier? And I know how it could be easier if I disobeyed God. It could be status. Whatever it is, it's whatever would grip our hearts, would lead us would lead us and control our hearts. The text goes on, for Judas, they paid him 30 pieces of silver. They paid him 30 pieces of silver. And from that moment, he sought an opportunity to betray him. Now, it's actually remarkable that the agreed-upon price for Jesus was 30 pieces of silver was 30 pieces of silver. We'll get into this a little bit more later, but what I want you to know is, actually, we know from Exodus 21, where God is giving the Israelites, he's giving his people laws for how they are to live, and since they were God's people, and they were forming a society, gave them specific laws for how they were to live as a society, and he said, hey, at this time in history, if a slave dies, and like, it's the cause of someone else, that person should pay them 30 pieces of silver for that slave. That person should pay them 30 pieces of silver for that slave. We'll revisit that a little later. But Judas, Judas betrays Jesus for some silver. And when you come to the story, when, if you've ever sat down and just read Matthew straight through to this point, that Judas... Actually betrays him, his friend, the one he's been with, the one Jesus called Judas himself. He betrays him. He's been with him for three years, and he gives him away from some silver. I think we have to say, man, Judas is blind. He's blind. And brothers and sisters. I, need, I, I don't want any of us in this room to be blind to who Jesus is. Like, do you realize Jesus is the king of kings, and he is the Lord of lords. He is the ancient of days. His dominion is an everlasting dominion and will never pass away. Nor will his kingdom ever be destroyed. He is all-powerful, all-wise, and all-knowing. He is always good, and he is always in control. And so we, we, we have to, like, with, like, just hurt in our hearts, almost scream out while we're reading this, like, Judas, don't you see? Do you see it? Like, don't you know one day every single knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord? That there is coming a day where no one will be blind to his worth and his worthiness. And so we have to say, man, can you see it? Why don't you see it? But he's blind. He's blind. But I want to ask you, do you see the glory of the God-man Jesus? Do you see it? And I think if you see it, if you see it, you would have to say, You would have to say, we'd have to all agree, okay, I see who he is, therefore, there is nothing, there is nothing worth keeping if it's keeping me from Jesus. There is nothing worth keeping if it's keeping me from Jesus. Any sum in exchange for eternal communion with the King of kings and Lord of lords is a declaration of complete bankruptcy. Like, no matter how much you would get in exchange for Jesus, you're always losing. It's spiritual suicide. It's a dive into economic oblivion. There is nothing you could ever receive that would be more valuable or more precious than communion, than a relationship with the creator of all things. Yet we see in verse 16, and from that moment he sought an opportunity to betray him and i think here we we'd be wise to examine our own hearts to ask ourselves like okay is jesus enough is jesus enough for me are you coming to him to get something other than him and and we need to ask ourselves, like, what well, what would it be? What would it be to betray Jesus? Is it, is it the particular thing this text is indicting? Is it the love of money? Like, what, and, like, let's get specific. Let's not get, like, oh, no, because, like, I don't, I'm not, like, Scrooge and just sitting on my money piles and just, hmm. Like, no, like, is it, is it fudging the books for your business? Like, in our tax returns, is it, like, what? you know, that's kind of a gray area, really, like, who's to say? And I pay so many taxes, so we know. We know. Is it, is it money for us? Gripping our hearts? Is it, is it sex? Is it, is it adopting a sex ethic foreign to the Bible? Foreign to the Bible because of, like, supposed love? Because, oh, if, if you just knew how I felt or if you just knew, like, if you just knew what it was like, and so we're willing, we're willing to bend the things the Lord Jesus says in order to accommodate ourselves. I think for many of us, is it, is it just an unwillingness to look bad? Like, we know there's, there's sin that is destroying us inside. Unconfessed sin that you're convinced you're just convinced you're going to be able to manhandle it and get over it and get through it, and then one day you'll never have to tell anyone about it. First question with that is, how's that going for you so far? The second thing I would have to say is, that rots your bones. I know how unconfessed sin rots your bones. And if you would just confess to a brother or a sister that you might be healed, that you would be healed. That, that's what that's what Jesus gave us. Like you want healing, man. Confess your sin to each other, get healing. But some of us are just unwilling to look the fool in front of somebody else. I can't. If they knew, if they actually knew, they would they would actually know that Jesus had to die for your sins. Yeah, but some of us we we need so badly to maintain our reputation that we're not willing to come to him with it. And for all of us, like, please, let's not assume any of us are beyond some of these things. Let's not think that we could never sin against and betray Jesus. So we need to examine ourselves soberly. We need to look and see, man, is there something gripping my heart? Is there something that's just destroying me that I need to just bring and drag into the light? But let us not only look into our own souls and our own selves. Let us look to Jesus. Because we have to see his glory. We just have to. We must look to him and live So the text goes on, verse 17. Now, on the first day of unleavened bread, disciples came to Jesus saying, where will you have us prepare for you to eat the Passover? He said to them, go into the city to a certain man and say to him, the teacher says, my time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. The disciples did as Jesus had directed them and they prepared the Passover. The greatest betrayal in all of history. And then like we go into we just go into this meal, right? Like Judas is betraying Jesus and we go into this meal. Uh this last week I uh, celebrated my birthday and some friends put together this uh little lunch get together thing for me on Saturday. Uh so that was really fun. We went to Los Agaves up in the NsB, which is great. You guys have one? Roxiron? Wow. Yeah. Well, you, but you guys also have Lalo's. I just had Lalo's a couple weeks ago for the first, oh man. Anyways, okay. Uh, too distracted. Okay, so, uh, so I walk in the place and, um, and just all my, all, all my friends are there. Like just about all my friends are there. We had to put together like every table in the entire place. Um, just had the longest table there. And I'm just like hugging people and saying hello and everything. And I sit down and we're eating the food. And then I just kind of thought about, I thought about this text that I knew I was going to be teaching. I knew then I was going to be teaching it the next morning. And it just kind of hit me. And I was looking around and realized, man, for Jesus, it was, it would be one of these people. Like one of these people I serve in ministry with one of these friends I've, I went through college with, like we know each other, it would be one of these people who would betray me. Like it wasn't, it wasn't just an outsider, and it just hit me in this new way. Man, it would be one of these people. It would be one of these people. And it almost seems too tragic, like he betrays him, and then they eat a meal together. Like what's going on here? What's going on? but I think there's actually something going on underneath the text that Matthew has written in here that if we understand it, it like, it opens up all of the meaning of what's going on here. So what we need to understand is Passover being prepared. Passover being prepared. And I I want all of us to be able to understand and see that to see Jesus in his glory to see the fullness of who Jesus is we must understand him in the in the light of the whole bible okay all of this book all of this book is actually all about Jesus it's all about him every single page, every single story. Christ is in all the scriptures. He's the point of every book. He's the hero of every story. He's the climax of every plot. He's the fulfillment of every single promise. It's all about him. And so to understand what's going on here, we need to understand how actually what's underneath here is something that's been pointing to Jesus for thousands of years. And that is this. Matthew lets us know that it's the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the week of the Feast of Unleavened Bread slash Passover. Over time, these two things uh, eventually got, kind of melded together, and they were celebrated together, Passover, during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And to understand it, we need to go back, go way back, go way back, like Genesis chapter 12, Genesis chapter 12. So in, in the early uh, In the early parts of the book of Genesis, as soon as Abraham's introduced onto the scene, God shows up. God just shows up to Abraham. God shows up to Abraham, and he says, hey, Abraham, I'm going to make you a promise that I'm going to bless you. That I'm going to bless you. And this promise had two main parts. It had two main parts. And the first was that he said, hey, I'm going to give you so many descendants. Abraham, out in the wilderness... God says to him, hey, I'm going to pick up a handful of sand. I'm going to give you more descendants than there are grains of sand in this entire desert. Then he said, hey, look up to the sky and start counting the stars. I'm going to give you more descendants than there are stars in the sky. And not, all, not only was he going to give him so many descendants and give him a great heritage, but he said, and I'm going to give you a land. I promised you land that you're going to dwell in, and I'm going to be your God, and you're going to be my people in your very own land. And so God makes him these amazing promises. He says, I'm going to do all these things. And that even through Abraham, that a seed would come, one who was going to save Abraham. All the people from their sins, they was going to give them this amazing heritage. Well, four hundred years go by, four hundred years later, and there's like a lot of Jews. There's a lot of Hebrews. Like they just get to business, and they there's a lot of Jews, and there's so many. Uh, there's so many, but there's a problem. There's many descendants, but they're slaves in Egypt. They're slaves in the land. Of Egypt. Like, they don't have their own land. So it's like the first part of the promise is being fulfilled, but it's like, what's the deal with the second part? Like, I thought we were going to get land. I thought we, I never thought we were going to be slaves. And finally, finally, 400 years after God made the promise to Abraham, 400 years later, God shows up to Moses in Exodus 3, and he says, okay, I've heard their cry, and now is the time. I'm going to set them free now's the time. I've decided this is right. I'm going to set them free. So he works all kinds of signs and wonders through Moses, doing all kinds of displays of miracles and plagues to show that he alone is God, and he is God above the gods of the Egyptians, that he alone will set them free from the tyranny of Pharaoh. Well, this all culminates, each plague builds on the other, showing how God is more and more powerful. And Pharaoh, still every time, his heart hardening and hardening, says, no, you can't go. You can't go. I won't listen to you. Until finally, culminates to the 10th plague, where it was a display of God's power in judgment. And God said, you know what? This is what's going to happen. I'm going to send the destroyer angel. And every firstborn son is going to die in the night. And you need to understand, this isn't just the Egyptian household. It's like every firstborn son in every household would die. God said, I'm going to do this. Every firstborn son will die. Unless, unless you take a spotless lamb without blemish. And you take it and you kill it and you put its blood on the doorpost of the house. If you do that, I will pass over your house and you will be spared. You will be covered by the blood of a lamb. And it was the blood of a lamb that caused the angel of death to pass over. And so the plague happens in countless firstborn sons die, but all who were covered by the blood of the lamb were spared, and Pharaoh sees it, and he says, you know what? Okay, I relent. Go. Go. Just get out of here, and he frees the slaves, and two million people exit Egypt. God rescued them out of Egypt with a mighty hand, and this is what they're to remember and celebrate at the feast every single year. That they were once slaves in the land of Egypt, but with a mighty hand, God took them and brought them out of that place. And so, throughout the entire Old Testament, this is like the salvation act, right? This is the main thing, that God took them out of here. Remember, you were once slaves. Remember, I took you out of Egypt. Remember, I did this. But the astonishing truth we come to as we approach the coming king in the New Testament is that the essential salvation event of the Old Testament, the Passover, was only ever just a foreshadowing of what God was going to do. And we see in 1 Corinthians 5, we actually see that Jesus is called the Passover Lamb. That he is the true Passover Lamb. That God showed up in the wilderness to Moses and he said, okay, the time is now. The time is now, I'm going to free my people. But that Jesus, in the midst of his betrayal, he says, I'm in control. Look at what he says. Second half of verse 18, the teacher says, my time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. He says, I'm in control. My time is at hand. I'll keep the Passover. they thought the disciples thought they were preparing passover for him but what they don't know is that the true passover lamb is being prepared before their very eyes for them that 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 original that first lamb just literally a lamb that was slain to cover a firstborn son that jesus the eternal Son of God, sinless, spotless, all-powerful, that He, he, it was only ever His blood that could cover, that it it was only a foreshadowing, the blood of rams and bulls, they could never atone for our sins, that the Son of God will spill His own blood to set free all those who would believe from their slavery to sin. Their slavery to sin. You see, what's so crazy about the uh, Exodus story about uh, the Israelites coming out of Egypt, what's so crazy about this is it's been 400 years since God made the promise to him, And then he acts. He acts, right? And it's 400 years. And so then God takes them out and then he, like, he takes them, splits the Red Sea, takes them through that, and then they're out in the wilderness and he provides food for them and he provides water And he does all these things, and then God's going to give Moses His word. God's going to give him the law, and so Moses goes up onto the mountain. And do you know how long Moses is up there? Moses is up there for forty days. It's been it's been four hundred years. They've been waiting, and then he's up there for forty days, and the people are like, "Ah, I don't know. I don't know if we'll ever see Moses again. I don't know if he's ever coming back." And So, like, let's just, let's make some golden calves to worship instead. Like, how insane is that? They've been waiting 40 days, and they completely forget about what Jesus, or what God had done to take them out of Egypt. And it actually says in the book of Acts, during Stephen's speech, before he's martyred, he's indicting the Pharisees for their unbelief and them not seeing. He says, you're just like your fathers, who, though they were taken out of Egypt and received the promises of God— They didn't receive them, and they didn't obey because they turned back in their hearts to Egypt. Though God took the people out of Egypt, he couldn't take, he didn't take their hearts from turning there. Their hearts were still slaves to that place. So we need a deeper setting free. We need a deeper exodus than just our life circumstances changing than just more money, than just a relationship, than just a thing we think we want God to give us and then everything would be better. We need Jesus himself. When we look to anything other than Jesus, when we live for anything else, or look to Jesus for anything other than Jesus himself, primarily for him, we simply show ourselves to be slaves. But the gospel... The gospel is that he who was forever free, Lord and creator of all, never knowing a time of slavery in his life for eternity past, he became a servant. The word word in the Greek is doulos. Literally translate, he became a slave of all. On our behalf, that we who were slaves to sin and ourselves and Satan, we might be set free as we believe in him. And so Christ has done it all. He has done it all. That he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so we need to see Jesus in his glory and just repent, just re- just turn from whatever it would be that would steal away our thoughts and our affections and our love for God. And what's so what's so tragic about Judas is that he ends his life in vain regret. He kills himself. He never really repents. He, he just he feels some guilt and remorse and he just stops there. And he ends his life in that place. So maybe you're sitting there and you're realizing a sense of your own sin. The Holy Spirit has brought something to mind, to light. I want to encourage you, acknowledge it. Like, don't just push it down. Don't just dismiss it. But then take it to Jesus. Take it to Jesus. And see in him the good news that he willingly gave his life for the forgiveness of all who would believe on him. That he willingly did it. No one took his life from him. He laid down his life that he would take it back up again. And know that you actually need to be set free. All who practice sin are slaves to sin, but the one the Son sets free, he's free indeed. And so look upon the Lamb and his glory look upon the lamb in his glory. And no, it just wasn't, it wasn't just a Passover lamb way back then. And it wasn't simply that Jesus 2,000 years ago gave himself as a lamb. That is true, but we also need to know and set our hearts and our eyes upon the glorious truth that there's coming a day where we are actually going to, with our own eyes, see the lamb in all of his glory. And so look at this. As I read this, like, And just start to set your heart upon the truth that you're going to see him face to face one day. Revelation chapter 5. And between the throne and the four living creatures, and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing, as though it had been slain, with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne, and when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and a golden bowl full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sing a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who is slain to receive power and wealth, And so, and so when you see that, when you see the lamb in his glory, you can't help if you actually see it to say, okay, all of my life, it's yours. And there's nothing I'll keep from you. And with every breath I have, I'll sing to you. And with every ounce of strength I have, I'll serve you. And don't let anything, don't let anything steal away my thoughts and my heart and my affections for you. Because you alone are worthy. Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy is the Lamb who took away the sins of the world. Worthy is the Lamb who took up his life again. And worthy is the Lamb who will never die. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, you alone are worthy. Lord, would you pour out your spirit on us? Whatever, whatever would steal away our thoughts and our affections and our heart and our love for you, God, would you just smash our idols? Would you detach our hands from the things of the world and attach them to yourself? Would you fix our hearts and our eyes upon you, Jesus? Would, would we respond in extravagant worship of you, completely forgetting about ourselves, just saying, I just want to give everything I have to him. He gave everything for me. Lord, glorify yourself. In Jesus' name. Amen. So we have we have communion up here. And Not only only did Jesus give himself as the Passover lamb for us and for our sins, but he also gave us this. The bread bread represents his body, that his body was given for us, that he took our place on the cross, that the juice would represent his blood, which is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. So confess your sins to one another repent before God and trust in what Jesus has done and then some of you maybe are feeling so empty or you're just barely hanging in there. I feel like for a lot of us we just we need to set our hearts on the truth that we're going to see Him face to face. Like there's really coming a day we're going to see Him face to face and we'll be with Him forever. But until, until that day the Lord told us, hey, whenever you get together, take this and when you do it, you proclaim my death and my coming again. So you take it and you tip it and you eat it and you know, for, you know for these minutes, though everything in my life has maybe fallen apart, I am whole in Christ. And his forgiveness was enough. And I'm gonna see him face to face and he's gonna wipe away every tear from my face. And he's gonna make all things new carpets are here, the prayer team is here. Let's give them all the praise he's worthy of.